Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. Motley Fool Money. Stock of the Week. G'day, fools. I'm Scott Phillips, and welcome to another in our ever-popular, yes, I say it every week because it's getting ever more popular, series, Motley Fool Stock of the Week, where we bring you one of our Motley Fool buy recommendations straight from us, straight to you, so you can get a little bit of a flavor, a bit of a taste of what the Motley Fool is about, or if you remember already, maybe what some other services are about, and hey, hopefully also some uh, some money-making recommendations as we go along. Now, as always, I'm going to give you my usual, not disclaimer, but preparation. Let's call it preparation at the beginning. First thing, this is a buy recommendation right now as we speak. We're recording this in kind of the second half of August of 2021. If you're watching this months, days, weeks, years later, it may not still be a recommendation, so keep that in mind. Second thing, we reserve the right to change our minds, of course. We are long-term investors, so just make sure you remember that we're not doing stock forecasts for days or weeks or months or even years. Well, not a year. We're looking at multiple years, preferably three to five years, maybe even beyond. We're looking for those big long-term winners. And very last thing, as ever, we can't give you personal advice. Whatever we say today on this video and any of our videos on our Motley Fool YouTube site or Motley Fool Podcasts, we are doing both right now. I'll tell you about that a bit later. Um, whatever you hear is general advice only, not personal advice. Right, that's out of the way. Just be remember, I'm not saying it's boilerplate. Don't ignore it. It's really important. I just know I do it most weeks, so just bear that in mind. All right, let's get to one of my longer-term colleagues, Mr. Edward Vesely. G'day, Ed. How are you, mate? Not too bad, Scott. Hey, good to be here. Mate, I'm really excited to have you on Stock of the Week for the first time, I think. You have starred on a couple other Motley Fool video series, and you've been on the podcast before, but this is our very first doing the stock, time doing Stock of the Week together. So, mate, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this one. I'm i got to say, I, I said before, I think in a couple of other contexts, I know most of the companies on the ASX passably well. We've been doing this for long enough. You just kind of learn about these businesses. You kind of know what they do. I'm, I'm partly, um, partly ashamed to say, but also, you know, it's not unreasonable to say, I don't know Baylor Technologies from Adam. I couldn't honestly pick them out in a lineup. So I am coming into this brand, brand, brand new. Hopefully, like some of our viewers and listeners, I get to ask the questions maybe that they would want to know because I don't know this business at all, mate, but you like it enough to have made it a Motley Fool recommendation, a buy recommendation at that. So let's start at the very, very top. Give me the the, the rub. Give me the, give me the understanding. What exactly is Bailador Technology Investments, I think it is? What does it do? Very good question. So uh, hopefully after the end of this, Scott, you'll, have, you'll know a bit more about Bailador. <laughs> That's right. I'm just going to – I'll just call it – I'll call it just Bailador, just to keep it simple, Excellent, because the full name is Bailador Technology Investments and the ASX code is BTI. Now, what it is like in it. terms of its yeah, in terms of its structure, it's a listed investment company. So what that means is it's a company, it's listed on the stock exchange and it makes investments. So it's pretty much what it says on the <laughs> that's a, Yeah, that's, that's pretty straightforward. We like that so far. It is. Uh, look, it's very similar. A lot of members or people out there watching this might know about Argo Investments or... Mm-hmm. Uh, the Australian Foundation Investment Company. So the structure think, is identical. Yes. Okay. However, it is extremely different in the way it does its investing. So the way I look at Bailador is it's it's um, probably, you could look at it this way, it's like an ASX-listed venture capital fund. So what okay. Bailador does is it, it, it focuses on the provision of investment capital to unlisted companies in the main, and it's right. companies which are in the expansion stage. So... That is, they don't necessarily invest in extremely small companies where they might have a fantastic idea, but there's been no proof of the business model. Okay. So what Bailador does is it invests in those companies which are slightly past that stage. 
Uh, so the risks are going to be a little bit less. Sure, potentially mm-hmm. the returns could be a little bit less as well, but they actually find that the sweet spot for their risk reward is right here at this venture stage. You could look at larger companies which are actually listed on the ASX, but mm. you'd argue that possibly that they've um, been priced in already, so a lot of the return has right. been made. So it's a very good way for um, the average investor to actually invest in something like this and gain access to unlisted companies. So, yeah, look, it's a good way for early-stage investment and there's not actually too many ways that I would know a, bit, uh, a, a way we could do that uh, quite easily. Mm. So what Bailador does, it, it invests in uh, companies... One of them is listed, but that's because they've taken it to listing and that's one of their priorities, okay. but it has eight investments. Uh, its strategy, as I say, is to just help those expansion stage companies grow to a point where Bailador can actually uh, end up uh, monetizing its investment and it'll do that through a number of ways. What they've done in the past is they've, they've actually just made a sale. So, for example, they had a, uh, an investment in the mortgage provider Lendy and uh, recently that merged with Aussie Home Loans to create a much bigger company. And so they decided to exit that investment and take cash for it, which is fine. They made a, a good return on that. Right. In other instances, uh, for example, I'll, I'll just use real examples, of course. Um, there's a company called uh, Stackler, which has just been bought out by uh, the Finnish e-commerce platform, Nosto. And uh, what they've done there, instead of taking cash, uh, Bailador has decided instead to actually retain its investment in Nosto. So when uh, looking at the reasons why they would do that, they, they simply see that there's a fantastic opportunity in just retaining the shares. So they decided not to take any cash off the table. So there's that. And then I just mentioned briefly that there was actually one company there which is listed, and that's not because they've gone out and bought shares in that. Uh, that's uh, the company Straker Translations, and the ASX code there is STG. But what they've done there is they've they simply held on to their investment. They've taken it public, or they've helped take uh, Straker Translations public, and uh, they've decided to just hold on to their shares. And look, at some point, Bailador will actually monetize that. They'll, they will eventually take the cash and recycle that cash uh, for other early stage investments down the track. But uh, whilst they're retaining those shares in those uh, listed companies, which become listed, and the unlisted companies, they'll, they'll actually um, they're doing that because they can obviously see there's more upside in those particular investments. So. In a nutshell, as I say, it's a listed investment company and they like to invest in businesses which are not e- uh, easily accessible by the average investor. So that's um, effectively what it does. Nice, mate. I like it. Look, if, so it's an interesting space because we know, I mean, we we all wish we could have invested in, in Facebook or Uber or some of those businesses when they were really, really, really young, right? But unless you happen to know the right VC or venture capital investment firm, unless you happen to be on the, in the good books, yeah. unless you had a decent amount of net wealth to be able to get inside that early stage uh, growth story, as you say, it's a tough thing to invest in as an individual investor. They're not doing the, the so-called friends and family around. They're not doing the kind of, you know, I've got a good idea, can I have some cash, please, to start my, my passion business. They're waiting a little bit longer from the sound of it till those businesses have some runs on the board and where they're providing what I assume is growth capital, the, the kind of acceleration capital. So well, we've got this great idea. We think we've proven it out. If we had some more money, we could go faster. We could go further. We could go bigger. It sounds like that's the space that Baylor are playing in. Is that right? Pretty much, yeah. They want to actually try to maximise what they've uh, put down. Uh, look, a good example is their biggest investment, which is now almost 40% of its net tangible assets. Wow. That's a company called Psychminder. And it's actually worth right now $82.5 million or thereabouts. So it gets valued on a regular basis. But this is exactly the sort of company that Baylador likes to invest in. It's it's metrics from the likes of a SiteMinder. 
that actually is very appealing to Bailey Law Management. Now, just quickly, what SiteMiner does, just to explain its biggest investment, it, mm. it's a software as a service platform which helps hotels in various countries. In fact, I, I think from memory I, I looked at the number of countries they uh, SiteMinder um, sells its services into, and it's about 160 in total. Wow. So it's actually helping hotels manage their revenue and manage their bookings. Now, you would think, oh, they, they probably haven't done very well given the pandemic. And it's true that they've actually been impacted somewhat. But um, you can imagine if you're a hotelier uh, sometime in the last 18 months or so, trying to manage your bookings and trying to just keep inventory moving because yeah. an empty room obviously doesn't – it's obviously a cost and uh, they've got to get those rooms rented as much as possible. So the subscription to Sideminder by hotels in – the 160 countries that it operates in around the world, it's actually been an essential service and it's something that they very reluctantly would give up. And that's actually why they, uh, Sidewinder is actually bringing in over $100 million or greater than $100 million in the last 12 months and has 90% or more recurring revenue. So again, it's just like investing in a software as a service company, we'll call it SaaS. The hotel or the customer actually will pay a subscription they see it as essential. It's actually cheaper on a monthly or yearly basis to pay that subscription, so they keep it going. And it's great for Sidewinder, and hence it's great for Balador because it actually goes out and uh, retains most of that revenue. Looking forward, there might be some hotels at the edge which which actually don't renew or don't continue with their subscription, but uh, it's possible it's, in those cases they're hotels that, have, that are going out of business anyway. But for, for most hotels, they're actually wanting to stay in business and they're actually going to keep their subscription to Sidewinder. So we like it because Sightminder is a company that continues to invest in its uh, R&D and it's actually, by the way, a very real prospect for an IPO listing in the future. So Bailador, no doubt, will be keeping its investment. As I say, it's around 39 40% of its NTA. So it's a big chunk of its total investment. But that's something else you've got to consider too. Uh, Bailador, as I say, invests in eight companies. One of those is 40%. So it's fairly concentrated. Um, the other company is just quickly, uh, there's another one called InstaCluster, and I'll just go through the top three here. Uh, InstaCluster, it's an open source database. It's not too dissimilar to MongoDB in the United States. Okay. Yep. It's also an IPO candidate, and it accounts for around one-fifth of Bailador's NTA or net tangible assets. Mm-hmm. And uh, just recently it's uh, purchased, uh, what was it, $5.5 million in a company called Instant Scripts. And uh, just when that was announced, I actually did speak to the co-founder, Paul Wilson, about that, and I did question you know, tell me more about it. And um, mm, the mm. main thing is I just wanted to know that Instant Scripts and the investment that they're putting down was, was properly considered. They did a lot of due diligence and uh, I wanted to know about the management at Instant Scripts and I, could, I was reassured too that the uh, um, the people running the show there are very, very motivated to, to grow this business. It's actually a company that's in the digital health space and uh, Bailador thinks it's got some very good prospects. So that's actually one of its eight. It's actually recycled, as I said, money out of DocsCorp, uh, Lendy and another company called Viastream. And this is the funny thing, $31 million was realised from uh, successful investments in the last 12 months. That compares to $12 million in the year before that. So there's a huge increase in the amounts of cash that have come through the business. That leads to the situation where Bailador can pay a small dividend. It's actually declared a fully franked 1.4 cent dividend, and that equates to around 1% at the moment. It's not something you're going to rely on for dividends. They will be irregular. It's going to depend on the amount of cash that comes in and whether they realise investment now or an investment in 12 months and so on. But it's an investment that you could easily buy into. You keep it as a diversified part of the portfolio. It will do its own thing. It's it's very 
you could say it's very uh, uh, in the way it operates and the way it performs is going to be very different to perhaps the general market. So for that reason, it's very good for diversification. And and yet, despite all that, um, Bailador's um, carrying value of its own investments is quite conservative. Now, it comes out with the best way to value a company like this is through its net tangible assets. I've mentioned that a few times. And Bailador will actually say, right, this is what we think is the, the this is we've had the investments valued, uh, and we see that the on on the uh, with the number of shares that are outstanding at the moment. We have a, a valuation of a dollar thirty-six or a dollar thirty-five or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is, I, I'm very attracted to what they're doing here, is because when I look into the documents and the presentations by Bailador, and after speaking to them as well, we see that uh, they're very conservative in the way they value their own investments. So, for example, you could look at m- most people would know about WiseTech or Zero or Altium, for example. They've got their own valuations, which are way way up to the right. Uh, mm. um, what you'll see is with Bailador is that it's actually, uh, I suppose, valued at a much lower rate. So if, if Bailador's investments were to be marked up at the same rate, you could see a lot of capital gain here. Mm. Um, that's only a possibility, but it's something to consider. But also, too, the fact that they're valuing their investments at a particular point, that's actually a lot lower than the revenue growth that uh, the underlying investee companies are delivering. So it's growing at a certain rate. They don't think it's necessarily valued at the same rate as a zero or, or an outing, but it could be. And so I guess there's some upside there to its net tangible assets. Um, just in in general terms, uh, across the portfolio, look, we, I love the way this company is investing. The average margins around the 70% mark, uh, recurring revenue is around 92%. Uh, even with SiteMinder being impacted in the last 12 months or so, the revenue growth has been around the 14% mark. We expect SiteMinder to actually increase from here. We, we do think, you have to be optimistic, Scott, there's got to be some sort of opening to yeah, the world in general after the eventually pandemic and lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and especially in Australia. But look, um, there's going to be anticipated improvement with SiteMinder's performance in the coming year. But by the way, I don't think it was that bad to begin with. So. All of those reasons are, they're all reasons why we like um, Bailador. And the other aspect to it is, is the inside ownership. Now, I mentioned Paul Wilson. He, he comes to, he's a co-founder and he comes to the business with some very useful uh, uh, private equity experience. So he, he knows mm. this uh, segment of the market quite well. Uh, there's also David Kirk. Now, he's actually a uh, previous CEO of Fairfax Media and an All Black. So um, exactly. don't hold that against him, by the way. <laughs> but he, he played for the All Blacks uh, quite a while ago. I think it was back in the 80s. But he's running the show. He, he's a co-founder along with Paul Wilson. The um, uh, the ownership stake between the two of them is around 9 to 10%. So it's quite a good deal of uh, money on the line, you could say. So mm-hmm. I, I think um, when you look at the risks involved but the opportunity at the same time and you look at the founders who have got their own money on the line, it's actually... Uh, it's not something that you necessarily put all your wealth into, but it, it's something that you would certainly you could certainly consider putting aside and putting some money into and just letting it be for a number of years. I think investing for three to five years, as we say, but preferably longer, is actually the way to go because it's going to take time for a lot of these companies to grow and uh, for those investments to be realised. Um, I mentioned net tangible assets. It does this on a pre-tax basis. So if you just look at the investments as they are today, the shares or the net tangible assets, I should say, are worth $1.51. Post-tax, that's assuming they sold all of their investments and they had to pay tax. The inve- net investments are around $1.36. Last time I looked, the current price was $1.35. So you, you're actually paying, not you're not paying over the odds for anything like this. It's not undervalued either. It's a fair price to pay. But the reason why you'd invest in Bailador is not because of a discount or any perceived discount between the share price and the NTA. You're doing this because you want to see the NTA grow over time. 
So um, that, in a nutshell, Scott, is why we like Balador Investments. Love it, mate. A quick break here to just remind you, you can follow us on a, basically every social platform there is except TikTok. I'm not going to go on TikTok. I'm not singing. I'm not dancing. But you can get us almost everywhere else. Ed, unfortunately, is not yet on Twitter. I might make that my 2021 goal. So if I get there by the end of the year. <laughs> but if you are on Twitter or Instagram, you can follow me at TMF Scott P, The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. If you're on Facebook, jump onto facebook.com slash the Motley Fool Australia, or slash Scott Phillips Money. And, of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, thank you. I apologise. my uh, i got a head for radio and a voice for print, but there you go. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. Make sure you check out the Motley Fool Money podcast. This episode does appear both on video and podcast, but there's extra podcast episodes you might be missing out on. I should mention, of course, our brand, brand, brand new podcast called The Good Oil with Scott Phillips, where I interview business leaders, experts, entrepreneurs, really fun set of conversations. So make sure you check that out. If you're listening to this on podcast, thank you, and do check out The Good Oil, but also make sure you jump onto our YouTube channel. We've got these videos. We've got Stocks in Focus, our favorite investment books. It's been on both of those series, plenty more video content to come from our team to you for free on YouTube. So look, as I said, wherever you are around the web or in your ears, we're there. Make sure you do subscribe. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Ed, let's go to the risks of an investment in Bailador Technologies. Eight companies feels like it's pretty concentrated. 40% one company feels pretty concentrated. We never say people should have 40% of their portfolios in one stock. Um, obviously, massive changes potentially in valuations of companies, depending on how the market moves. How am I going? What, what risk should we be thinking about? Am I overdoing some, undoing others, missing some altogether? Uh, yeah, look, absolutely. I mentioned, for example, Sidewinder, yeah, 40% of the total net tangible assets. We have to consider too that not all of the investments at Balador will necessarily be successful. Now they've yeah, right now they're actually doing very well. But there was um, I'll just give you a good example. There's eight companies, uh, but right now um, that's today. But uh, a few years ago, I think it was back in 2017, uh, Balador actually had an investment in a company called iPro Solutions. Now that was again a cloud-based SaaS platform that was targeted at companies and um, government enterprises that would help them manage vendor compliance risk. So it's a very specific company yeah, and yeah. had a very specific niche. And I could understand the attraction for Balador to invest in something like that. At the time, the investment was worth around 6%, 6.3% of the Balador portfolio. So itself, it wasn't insignificant at all. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, what happened with uh, iPro is that it actually went into voluntary administration and uh, Balador lost its investment eventually over, over the course of a number of months. So they actually had to write that off. They did actually mm-hmm. hope and it was hope that they would actually get some of this back through the liquidation process, but it just wasn't yeah. to be, unfortunately. You very rarely do. <laughs> Liquidations are pretty other. Absolutely. Now, look, of course, that's 6%. If, if something like that happened to SiteMind or 40% or any other company that's worth significantly more you know, than 6%, 10% or 20%, it could have a huge impact. And it's certainly going to be, um, you'd say, have put a break on shareholder returns. I don't think it necessarily... Mm-hmm wrecks the business model of Baylor I think the business model is actually quite good and I like what they're doing with their, their strategy. But just every so often, uh, all of us make mistakes with investments and uh, even the best, the guys at, excuse me, the guys at Baylor do the same. It does happen. Sometimes it's out of their control. Sometimes the due diligence Absolutely. maybe in hindsight couldn't have been, uh, could have been maybe a bit better. But whatever it is, it, uh, th- these things are going to happen from time to time. So you've just got to consider that. The other thing that I mentioned too in the original report, and this was in Hidden Gems, 
uh, is that the commercial information that's shared between Bailador and some of its investee companies, in fact, I'd say all of them, I would have to consider uh, is certainly going to be commercial incompetence. So it does mean that there's certainly dialogue going on between uh, Bailador and the, the rest of those other companies, but there's no guarantee that Bailador could actually share all of that information with the public and the public shareholders in Bailador. So I think what we have to do is we just have to trust that uh, Bailador management is just going to find that right uh, space because on the other hand, it's also a risk for the investee companies as well. They've got certain information they're sharing with, sharing with Bailador and they don't necessarily want that to go public, so they're having to balance that. I think they're doing that okay at the moment and the announcements that we see from Bailador are actually uh, pretty good. But And uh, we'd love more information, of course, but... Uh, we we, we uh, was, you know we actually understand that they've got um, some restrictions there in terms of the amount of information that they can provide, and uh, just I touched on this briefly too. It's just the uh, structure itself, the um, mm. the uh, structure of the listed investment company. Sometimes you'll see that companies have an NTA or whatever it might be, but the the actual share price is trading well above or well below that NTA, and so mm. in situations where it's trading well below net tangible assets. It could be there for quite a while and it could be a quite a frustrating experience that even though the underlying performance of the business is actually growing, uh, for whatever reason, you've got uh, no market love for the shares. So, And that, that can happen. And I think that's the reason why we have to take a very long-term view with something like Bailador. So they're three of the biggest risks that I'm looking at at the moment. Nice, makes sense, mate. I guess to some degree too, I and mean, this is a jockey play, uh, the, kind of the jargony term, mm-hmm. equity term for uh, businesses where you're betting on the people running the business, you know, the Warren Buffett style approach. Look, you know, maybe the businesses are great, but you're buying the businesses or buying Buffett. That's an open question. Uh, plenty of others like that as well. But to some degree, Bailador's entire business model is wrapped up in the few people who are actually allocating that capital, right? There is, take those people out and you've got some some VC style investments um, and someone's got to manage them, make more, sell them, do something. We're kind of relying on the people walking in and out the door every day, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and for that reason, and I mentioned this before, I think Bailador would actually be suitable to any growth portfolio, but you wouldn't want you wouldn't want ten or twenty percent necessarily in Bailador as part of a portfolio. If you're going to invest, we always say at the Motley Fool, you've just got to in, in do it sensibly. I think Bailador has some excellent prospects long term. But at the same time, you're not gonna put a big chunk of your you wealth into it. You're not going to mortgage the house and put all of your money into Valador, for example, or any any stock for that matter. It's nothing against Valador. <laughs> you, you I mean, there's there's other companies out there. You wouldn't put everything into Telstra or Commonwealth Bank or, or any other larger company, but you certainly right, wouldn't do exactly. it with smaller companies as well. And I just think the yeah. best way to mitigate risk is just to uh, sensibly diversify, understanding here that there's eight companies within this one investment, but you might have 20 other investments mm-hmm. in the portfolio. So that's, uh, that's the way yeah, we would exactly. do it. Nice one. Mate, wrap it up for me. Let's do our famed 60-second elevator okay. pitch that takes yep. somewhere between 30 and 90 seconds, generally speaking, so no pressure. But let's let's wrap it up. Let's take the, the business itself. Let's take the pros. Let's take the risks and wrap it up. Why should our viewers and listeners consider adding Bailador Technology Investments or just Bailador BTI is the code to, to remind you? Why should they add Bailador to their portfolios, mate? Okay, I'll try and do this in 30 seconds or so. Okay, nah. first of all, Bailador Technology You're 60, Investments. No, no hurry, no hurry. Oh, okay. It's a relatively lower risk. I'm not saying it's low risk, but it's lower risk way of gaining investment to early stage investments that are focused specifically on uh, software as a service and platform uh, companies within those sectors. And they continue to grow strongly. Uh, it has the potential to add some useful diversification, as I say, to most portfolios. It's trading at a slight discount to NTA. 
or net tangible assets. And of course, you're employing a very motivated and um, focused management team that I think are very incentivized to grow shareholder wealth for years to come. That was a spectacular one, mate. You didn't even need the full 60 seconds. I told there you, you he was a smart bloke, guys. Thanks for watching and listening to Ed. Hey, mate, thank you for spending your time helping our listeners and viewers learn a little bit more about Bailador Technology Investments. Ed, of course, does run uh, Motley Fool Dividend Investor and Hidden Gems, among other things. He's a very busy man here at the Motley Fool. This one comes from the Hidden Gem Service. These are the sort of businesses they're looking for. They're looking for smaller businesses with a little bit more risk, but hopefully a little bit more return as well at the smaller end of the spectrum where... Sometimes you get some companies that may be underloved, underfollowed, underappreciated, potentially. That's certainly what we're hoping for. And to some degree, Ed, I mean, that's what Baylor themselves are doing, right? So it's a, it's yeah. a bit of a Russian dolls. It's just kind of turtles all the way down. And, mate, thanks again. Thanks for sending again. Thank you for sharing no your expertise with, with our listeners and viewers. And I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Ed, from Ed and myself. Until next time, full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.